Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a series of author-hosted podcasts uh, distributing literary content to a worldwide audience. I'm your host, Landis Wade, a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here. Very quickly, before we get to the uninterrupted interview today, a few quick words about some of the benefits uh, for our listeners. Number one, we have show notes uh, for every episode uh, with images, links, and information about our authors at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And number two, if you're into audiobooks, uh, we have a relationship with Libro.fm, which supports indie bookstores. If you sign up with Libro to get your audiobooks and use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER, you'll get an extra audiobook free. Number three, if you go to charlottereaderspodcast.com or my personal website, landisway.com, and you sign up for the book report, you're going to get it every other Tuesday. And here's what you'll get. Recommended readings, author interviews and videos, reading and writing tips, doses of inspiration, a free ebook by yours truly, and more. We won't spam you. That takes way too much time. And finally, we've got a lot of great content that we put out on our exclusive Patreon channel. If you like what we do here, uh, that is our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, and you'd like to help us uh, defray the costs of this project, you can jump over to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast, and you can tap into all the great extra content we've got that's curated by our authors and me about uh, their writing lives and the craft and business of writing and other things too. But enough with the prologue. Let's get to the uninterrupted story of our guest and the one they've written. In today's episode, we visit with Lori Epting, author of From Chaos to Connection, a marriage counselor's candid guide for the modern couple. Lori is an experienced marriage counselor who has guided thousands of couples through the myriad of challenges and obstacles in a marriage. Using blunt, honest lessons and real-life antidotes, From Chaos to Connection is a path for disconnected couples to navigate the ups and downs of life and find true happiness in their marriage. Gary Chapman, author of the New York Times bestselling book, The Five Love Languages, had this to say about the book. Whatever the present state of your marriage can always be better, more supportive, connected, loving, and caring. Reading from chaos to connection is like sitting down with a seasoned counselor who understands the dynamics of building a healthy marriage. The book stimulates the yes, we can make things better attitude. It is a hope-filled book for all who want a growing marriage. Lori, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, um, and congratulations on the book. Thank you. It's been a yeah. surprising journey. Yeah, exactly. Well, while this book offers you know helpful marriage advice to uh, what you kind of describe as marriages in disarray, I, you know, you also shared some helpful tips to keep a marriage healthy. And I took notes, copious notes, because I've been married 37 years and Janet has put up for me all that time. So I'm, I wrote some things down to try to make sure that that, that marriage lasts a few years longer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But this book comes from a personal place uh, for you too. And I, 
And I love the way you know, I was reading this book and I was reading some sections again this morning. I was laughing about it. But uh, you say on page 38, there, after some stress in your marriage and a personal incident, you jump out of the car with your husband. You decide you're going to walk home. And then you say even marriage counselors lose their shit sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk about how this comes from a personal place, too. Well, I think there's this myth that marriage counselors have this beautifully perfect marriage and we just do it right all the time. And that's definitely a myth. Um, And I definitely wanted to bust through that myth because I think that people can feel really um, like alone in their marital struggles. It's not something people just announce to the world. And so people can feel like, you know, if they're going awry or something's going off in their marriage, that there's something wrong. And that's not necessarily the case. And so I did want to send the message that marriage is hard for everyone. Um, And there's definitely ways to navigate it to where it can stay connected and healthy. Um, But it's hard for everyone, even us marriage counselors who know how to do this. And we spend hours and years and trainings to do this. And we still go awry. And I think that's important for people to know. Well, it was, it was really great because, uh, you know, while I wouldn't necessarily call this a memoir, there's some memoir-iskness in it because you, you are honest and, and uh, you truly empathize with, uh, you know, your clients, as you say, because you say marriage is hard for you too, as you say, from a demanding job and crying children to ever, never any laundry, and now the added stress of a pandemic and, and, and you move from across the country to here and you have stresses in your job. Um so I guess uh, the next question I have is uh, you're a marriage counselor who decided to write a book who's going through all this stuff in their own marriage, raising kids, moving across country. How'd that go over in the marriage, writing a book? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I did have a really supportive husband through this. and Same he- one you got now? Yeah. Yes, the same one. He stuck with me. You said you had. You said you had a really. I had one. one. He he stuck around, shockingly. Um, And there's no there's no question. This puts some strain on our lives. um, Just going through this process, and the time that it's taken, which has been painstakingly slow for all those reasons that you that you just said. Um, But I do think it helped me with my marriage. It helped me put into words what was happening. It helped me even when I go back and reread stuff now. I'll, I'll, it'll be a great reminder for something I'm still, you know, hitting up against. And so I still use my words to, to help me through struggles that I, that I come up against in my own marriage. Yeah. And speaking of, um, you know, your husband, he must've been a really good sport, uh, about this because not only did you write this book during everything else that's going on, but you use a lot of your personal examples of your own fights and post-fights makeups to make it genuine. You, you really tell the truth about it. And so I'm just curious, um, you know, how did he take it? Was he, a, was he one of your beta readers? Did, did he provide feedback? And I'm just curious. Did he say, no, wait a minute, that's not the damn argument we had. The argument we had was. <laughs> <laughs> that's not how it went. Yeah, that's um, not how they are. And that spirals into a whole nother chapter for the book, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. There's still stuff that that I wrote about in the book that we'll, we'll talk about. And he, and he says, that's still, that's still an issue today, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah. But, you know, he was a good sport and he was the first person to read it. I did pass it through um let him read through the whole thing before I even 
um, thought about getting it edited or, or submitting it to publishers. So I did get his okay, um, mm-hmm. that it was all, you know, on the up and up that he felt represented well, um, which I did. I, I wanted to represent, I didn't, it was very important to me that he didn't look blamed, nor did I, um, that it's just these natural struggles that happen. And yes, he, he gave the, the approval. Well, I think if, uh, any couple can agree on 247 pages of text, you know, that, that your marriage is rock solid going, going forward. Um, but you, uh, let's talk about uh, now that I've got, you know, a marriage counselor in the house here, before we get to the, some of the micro issues in the book, uh, let's talk about the macro, you know, this uh, answer to finding true happiness in a marriage. And I think I found it uh, early in the book. This is not a spoiler. Uh, you save the sex for last. So you put this early in the book and you say on page 34 that the key is empathy. Can you talk about that? Yes. I kind of call it my relationship superpower. And we're not always really good at it. Um, and especially what I've recognized through being in this kind of walk of life where, you know, a million things on our plates, we're juggling everything. And we come home and we're stressed and we're overwhelmed and we're cranky. (laughs) And if we come to our partner in those spaces, which we will, because it's natural and normal. And then our partner kind of one, one ups us uh, with all of their struggles and trials and tribulations. Then all of a sudden we're just in this kind of competition, which happens a lot of couples coming in often in those kind of competitive places. And so the way out every time, Um, is really through the empathy, the ability to look at what your partner goes through and what is on their plates and what's distressing in their lives and being able to offer some sort of empathetic, understanding, validating response. And the conversation goes completely differently um, when when that's present. And you use examples from, of course, you change the names, I know, and you change the scenarios, maybe throw some hypotheticals in of couples that you've counseled on some of the, this was really a fun part of the book is you're giving real life examples. It's almost like, you know, okay, here's the dialogue portion of the nonfiction book, you know, that you're working in here, but you also did it with you and your, your own husband. And and there was a scene I read in the book where I think um, you were critical of him about something. Um, and you didn't realize because y'all, of your move, changes in his job, he's in sales, he's starting over, he's trying to build a new uh, clientele, that he was really stressed about what was going on financially. And when you, when you would make comments about how different the house was from the one you lived in before, you thought maybe you were just commenting on a physical space, but you were really uh, commenting on his ability to, to provide as a caregiver. And you didn't realize that until you talked it out. And so- is that being what you mean by being empathetic, trying to put yourself in the other person's shoes and understand that, for example, staying home with the kids all day is not a walk in the park. It's not like, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's a lot different than being able to go to the office and going to the office. is not just sitting around the water cooler talking to people about, you know, who won the football game over the weekend. Absolutely. And when we can put ourselves in our partner's shoes and really think about what they go through and we create the kind of relationship where they're they are open to us about that, right? So we're a safe place for them to talk it out. We're a safe place for them to say, this is what's hard about my day. And, and so it's a lot easier to just kind of give that organic empathy when you've got that kind of relationship going where you're just naturally coming to each other, um, which we're not going to do 
if we feel judged or criticized or if our partner responds, well, that, you know, if you think that was hard, how do you think this went for me, right? If we have, if there's a response that doesn't make this very comforting, um, then we're not going to seek it out. But when we create that comfort, then we're naturally going to seek that out and we're going to stay connected. I think it was in that chapter when you're talking about empathy that you said, uh, you know, that it's not about logic necessarily or not about being right, um, but about understanding the feelings and the emotions of your partner. Yeah, couples get in that trap. And that's probably what I do 90% of my day is helping them out of that logical trap, right? Here's my stance. Here's my perspective. And here's my bullet point list of why that is so. And then their partner is ready for the response. They're ready for the rebuttal. Well, here's my stance. Here's my perspective. And here's all my bullet point list. And if we're missing the emotion, then we're going to stay right there. We're just going to be debating our stances from a logical place. Let's call that listening like a lawyer. You're preparing your next argument. <laughs> I, I use that analogy all the time. <laughs> You're the worst, right? I, I, I'm a recovering trial lawyer now, though. But yes. uh, I, I know that, I mean, I can remember these fights my wife and I would have. And she'd say, I am not your witness. I am not on the stand. You can't cross-examine me. And I'm like, I'm not cross-examining you. And then I started thinking about it. Yeah, that's exactly what I was doing. I was cross-examining her. I was trying to get to the truth, right? The What's truth. the truth? And the truth is in the eye of the beholder. Sometimes. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And we're only usually working with our part of the truth. And unless we get the other piece of the puzzle, which is our partner's thoughts, feelings, the way they experienced it, what their lens is, if we're not getting that piece of information, we're working with half. We're only working with half of the truth. <laughs> All right. That's great. Well, you mentioned in your book, too, that uh, too often you see couples seek marriage counseling when it is too late. Why do you think that is? I think yeah, I think it's uh, John Gottman's a great researcher on marriage, and he says that we wait generally couples wait about seven years of being in distress before seeking help. And I think there's a lot of reasons. I think that we feel embarrassed um, we, we, we feel like it says something about us. It says something about our relationship if we, we need help. Um, and I also think it's just easy to put that on the back burner. Our, our culture does not prioritize our marriages. It prioritizes our jobs. It prioritizes being a good parent, um, you know, going through the rat race of all the extracurriculars and the soccer practices. It, 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 it doesn't really prioritize our marriage. So it's really easy for that to get on the back burner and everything else take precedence. And so I think it is hard to say, hey, you know, it is an investment of time. It is an investment of money to put that on the top of the list and say, this is that important. I think that's hard to do. And, and I've had um, a, a number of authors on the show, over 200 now um, in, in the couple of years we've been doing this, and they all come from different places. And I remember somebody was telling me about, you know, their divorce situation and how it turned out to be a good thing for them to go through the divorce. So is marriage counseling sometimes about finding out, you know, the hard truth sometimes about whether something is going to work? You're not necessarily always Humpty Dumpty, right? Putting the pieces back together again. Right. Sometimes it's a, po a process of discernment. Um, we're, we're, we're figuring out through the marriage counseling process is, is the really the changes in the relationship. Is it enough? Is it enough to feel, um, satisfied in this relationship. So sometimes we are discerning and, you know, working on a marriage can be hard work. And I tell couples, I'm, 
I hang out in the trenches as long as as long as you as long as you are. We'll, we'll fight as long as you're fighting, and and work towards the change. And then and then we'll see where that takes us, where that takes the relationship. And sometimes that does. It takes us to a place of of it, it might be time to to disconnect. It might be time to separate. So I'm I'm curious. Is marriage counseling? And I, I've never had therapy. They've, I've been told I probably should, but, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, from my kids or whatever. But uh, is it uh, is it kind of like the Socratic method in, in law school, where you're asking questions and letting them talk as opposed to giving them answers? Uh, depends on which kind of marriage counseling you seek out, mm-hmm. and, and there's definitely different kinds. And the kind that I do is called emotionally focused couples therapy. And it is really protocoled. Um, it's based in attachment theory. So we, we've recognized, we've learned through the years that there's certain things that need to be present for an attachment to feel secure, for a bond to feel safe um, and connected. And so I am walking couples through a process, um, not just kind of helping them arrive at their own conclusions, but really walking them through a process because we know that certain conditions need to be there for couples to feel connected in a secure way. And the research shows when couples report feelings connected in a secure way, they feel pretty satisfied with their relationship. Mm. Well, that leads me right into what I was going to talk about regarding the title, From Chaos to Connection, right? Uh, I'm looking at the book cover here, um, and maybe another question I had too, there's a couch on the cover. I'll say, do you put them on a couch together? And do they, I mean, so is this, is this how the therapy's done? You got a couch here. It's a nice blue couch you got uh soft colors here but then the words chaos on the cover are in red mm-hmm. right? yeah. yeah tell me about this cover and also the title um so it, the title took me forever to figure out what i wanted to say <laughs> um but really the whole premise of the book um was about right the connection has to be present to feel satisfied in your relationship but there's just no way that right that we can get out of the fact that there is chaos in our lives. We're, we're juggling all the things that you read in the beginning, laundry, garble, kids. Um, it's going to be there. I can't, I can't make it not be there for couples when they walk in the door. The chaos is present. And sometimes I think couples can mistakenly think that when all the dust settles, when the kids, you know, when they grow up and they're out of the house, then we'll have time to connect. Mm-hmm. And that's a really dangerous place in a marriage to kind of wait for that point. And so the idea that I'm talking about in the book is that connection can exist in the chaos. So it's going to be present. It can, it can definitely be challenging. It can definitely tempt couples into kind of dividing the two of them. Uh, But connection is absolutely possible in the midst of the chaos. Yeah, essentially, I have Molly Grantham on the show, and she wrote a book called "The Juggle Is Real," and sure. she's a very busy anchor woman and uh, busy life, and uh, she she really broke it down. Uh, you know, life may look perfect when you're on the news and on screen, and you got all your stuff together, but there's a lot behind the scenes that makes it uh, almost like a juggling act. Um, all right, let's do this. We on Charlotte's podcast, we uh, like to have authors give voice to the written words by reading from their book. And uh, you're going to start at a good place, uh, the beginning with the introduction um, and read uh, you know, a couple of pages to give us a flavor for what you were thinking when you sat down to write this, assuming you wrote this early in the process. So uh, whenever you're ready, take it away. Okay. 
As a marriage counselor, I can sit in a room with a screaming couple and not break a sweat. I can listen with ease to arguments over who has been wronged, who isn't being appreciated, and who didn't remember to let the dog out last night. I eagerly sit on the edge of my seat without so much as a heart palpitation as a spouse rants about the failings of their partner. However, if you want to spike my blood pressure and put me into a cold sweat, ask me to be the room mom for my two-year-old's preschool class and arrange a Pinterest-worthy Valentine's Day party complete with cutesy cards for her classmates who can't even read yet. You could watch the shame creep over me as I scour blogs and pins for respectable ideas while ignoring my husband's third request to come to bed already. I'll be the first to say it. Modern marriage is for the birds. Take me back to the days of my parents when there was no internet and no expectation of themed birthday parties complete with hashtags. Take me back to the days before there was a photographer's package for every holiday and beautifully touched up pictures that get posted on every single social media site and make the rest of us feel subpar about our marriages and families. Take me back to the days when married couples could be at the top of their parenting game just by checking their kids' report cards at the year's end and attending a PTA meeting every now and then. Take me back to the days when a person could just grab a few McDonald's Happy Meals without feeling like they're poisoning their family. Are we seriously supposed to stay happily married with our union securely intact through all this insanity? Modern marriage is crazy. Let me start by sharing one of my crazy moments, the kind that can make or break any marriage. It was a Saturday morning. Saturday mornings are a perfect time for me to work as a marriage counselor because my husband, Chad, is home to wrangle the kids. I can get ready distraction-free and out the door in a peaceful manner, every mom's dream. Now, this particular Saturday, I had arranged for our daughter's favorite babysitter to come over for about an hour so that my husband could play in a friendly neighborhood tennis match. At 6.30 a.m., the alarm clock went off and he was out the door. I took a quick shower before my two and five-year-old woke up. Once they were up, I turned on Doc McStuffings so I could blow dry my hair and get dressed. I put out some breakfast and a change of clothes for the kids. The clock was ticking, but no babysitter. Hmm, I thought, maybe I told her to come at 8.30 instead of 8.15. I checked my text messages. Nope, I'd actually told her 8 o'clock. It was 8.35. In exactly 25 minutes, my clients would be sitting in the waiting room at my office, and there was still no sign of the babysitter. I called and texted her. I called and texted my husband. No response from anyone. I started to panic. This led to a series of events that ended with my neighbor answering the third of my frantic calls in the middle of her kickboxing class. She proceeded to call her husband and uproot him from his couch where he was spending a rare kid-free moment with his coffee to get him to hustle up to my house. When he was within eyeshot, I jumped in my car headed down the street to my babysitter's house and banged on her door. Yes, I have no shame. She jumped out of the bed and threw on her clothes and we raced back to the house where I dropped her at the end of the driveway. As I sped down the road to work, Chad finally called me back. I heard him so innocently say, hey babe, I'm in between sets. Did you need something? I wish I could tell you I used all of my education, training and experience as a marriage counselor to perfectly regain my composure and say, I'm all good. It was a bit crazy, but I got it all worked out. Enjoy the rest of your match. But no, the real ending to this story is that I laid into my husband with such theatrics that I might now be up for a Golden Globe Award. 
Seconds after getting off the phone, he emailed me the confirmation for a two-hour massage he had scheduled for me later that day. I'm not sure if it was his way of saying, sorry you had such a tough morning, or I'm willing to pay hundreds of dollars for you to relax at a spa in the hopes that you don't come home still acting like a crazy person. <laughs> okay. I love it. Uh, it's you wish you could have used all of your training uh, and experience and education to say just the right thing, but no, I, but no, I'm just a person. <laughs> You're just a person. And that comes through in the book. I have to say, Laura, you do a great job of making this uh, relatable and fun. And, uh, you know, because sometimes with nonfiction books, if they're too academic, uh, I mean, they can be helpful in that regard, but uh, it's nice to have a book that you can read and pick up and, uh, and, and connect because like in fiction, uh, readers connect with characters. And uh, in this book, people can connect with you and thereby in connecting with you, get an understanding of the message you're trying to convey. So when you were receiving editorial feedback and comments, did, did you take that to heart trying to make this more personal? It was really important for me for this to be personal and be in my own voice. And it was probably the other way around. They had to continually reassure me that the grammatical changes did not take away my tone, did not take away the personal touch, because um, I really wanted it to come from my voice and I wanted the people to feel connected to me as the author. Yeah. And so just a little, um, you know, quick and dirty about the book here, you you provide a number of chapters that focus on different things. And I think readers will find solutions to what you call the fight heard around the world. My day was harder than yours. Is that mm -hmm. something that comes up a lot in your counseling sessions? It does. It's, you know, kind of that competitive, here's what I go through. Well, here's what I go through. And then there's no bridge emotionally be between the two partners. And so they stay pretty stuck in those divided places. Mm -hmm. And you talk about tips and techniques for how to get out of the blame game. You know, whose fault is it? Um, how much of that actually is at the heart of a lot of these uh, failing marriages? I think it's really easy to see the failings of your partner. Mm -hmm. It's not as easy to see sometimes your own blind spots. And so it, it does happen. Um, most of the time where partners come into something like couples counseling and they're very versed in what their partner is doing wrong, <laughs> they could probably write their own novel about yeah. what they could their write a brief to the U.S. Supreme Court for emergency uh, relief, right? They really could. And it's harder to be versed in maybe where you're going awry or where your blind spots are or where change would be really helpful um, that's within your control. Well, one chapter I found interesting is uh, you said women were more critical than men. And that's how you start focusing on it. You say that men internalize their feelings uh, and, and the constant criticism from women can build up a wall. Now, I have to say, I'm going to do a little shout out for my wife. She's done a very good job with holding that in. You know, and that, I think she holds it in for about four or five months and it all comes out at once. But I mean... <laughs> I wish, I wish you would kind of string it along with that. I could kind of monitor my behavior better. But, uh, you know, I find this interesting because I was thinking perhaps that with all we're hearing in the news and, and you know, the way men talk down to women and they've got this thing called mansplaining and so forth, that I thought it would have been 
sort of the other way around, but you're saying that uh, in, in the practice that you've seen that women end up being more critical than men. And is it just that the men shut down in those circumstances and don't engage or what's going on there? Yeah, I think that men are just more socialized to not be as emotionally expressive. And so they're less likely to, to show their feelings, not always, um, but, but in general. And so when men feel, um, or anybody really, but specifically um, because men are more internalizers, if they feel blamed, if they feel criticized, if they feel attacked in some way, um, they are more likely to internalize that and, and more shut down. And often, and what I really wanted to point out in the book, um, when our partners shut down, we don't necessarily sit back, and I don't do this either, I only do it because I'm privy to this, and go, you know what? I bet what's happening for them is that they feel overwhelmed or they feel not good enough for us or they feel like they're letting us down. That's not usually the interpretation we put to when our partners shut down. What we usually more likely to think is that they don't care or they are just so conflict avoidant, like it's like a personality flaw. Um, they're just not good at relationships. They're just not capable. And so we'll put kind of some really damaging um, interpretations on that. And so I really wanted to highlight that really common dynamic in relationships where one partner feels distress and they communicate that stress through criticism. And then the other partner feels in some way overwhelmed or inadequate or they, they've let them down in some way. And so they shut down. And, and usually that's more of a protective stance. And, and not only criticism, but um, solutions as well. And this is kind of a transition to the conversation about sex, which you put way in the back of the book. And you say, oh, my gosh, I didn't really want to talk about this. Uh, my parents might be reading this section. But you, know, you, deal, you deal with this topic because, you know, uh, believe it or not, listeners, there is sex in marriage. You know? yep. um, and so but but when you talk to couples who are having difficulty, uh, either the uh, woman's not interested or the man wants it too much or whatever, you've seen situations where one partner will say, and sometimes it's the woman who says to the man who's not perf performing up their expectations, well, you need to get checked out. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got a problem. Mm -hmm. um, now, that's that's probably not a very good thing to say to the male ego, right? It's really the last thing you want to say to the male ego, back to the women are more critical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So speaking of, of this uh, topic, um, you talked a lot about how as couples age, uh, men and women need different things when it comes to sex. You know, that it's not about the sexual act, but it's about, uh, for women, more emotion. Um, and you actually sort of chastise both sides in the book, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Talk about mm -hmm. that. Second. What 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 are you telling the women and what are you telling the men? I'm telling them that they're both right and and I really want to help again develop that empathy for their partner's position. And so, you know, you've got kids crawling on you all day, maybe you've experienced childbirth, maybe you've been taking care of little people for years and years and and you know your desires changed and your you know excitement to to do something more that day you might just want to sit on the couch and and not have anybody need anything from you and sometimes right a spouse can interpret that as rejection or just not interested anymore 
Um, so I really want to kind of paint that picture for for especially women that are going through kind of those years of kids hanging all over them. Um, they may not want to be touched, and that's not a place of rejection. That's a place where I want couples to kind of get creative together and really understand what's on her plate um, and what she's needing from him. And that might make her more um, excited about something like being intimate with her husband that night if they feel like he's really listened to her and been emotionally tuned to her and she's felt really connected to him. That might be a more desirable option if she's felt that he's been disconnected, super kind of caught up in his own stuff and his own work and he's stressed and he's cranky. Um, she's not that excited to do that mm-hmm. <laughs> in the yeah. evening. So I do want to give that perspective. And then also, you know, just, just challenging women as well. Yes, the kids have been hanging over you all day and, and you give them birth and, and none of those things are conducive for um, you know, a really exciting sexual experience, right? They're more conducive for, for going to sleep. Uh, but giving, kind of reminding them of the importance of their partner still feeling desired. And that's still something that even when life gets hard and chaotic and we're exhausted, um, that's still something to value in the relationship. And I kind of liken it to to even going to the gym. I, I was going to say, I, I laughed out loud when I read that. That example, you said you're counseling women. Look, it's like going to the gym. You, you you put your feet on the floor in the morning. You don't really want to get up and go to the gym. But you know, you go to the gym, you sweat, and after it's over, yeah, you feel pretty good, right? You, you're glad you went. You're glad you did it. You didn't want to, but here's my problem. My wife doesn't like to go to the gym, so you know. <laughs> sometimes I compare it to eating vegetables. You're right, eating vegetables. a salad. Yeah, right? I have to talk to you about eating eating a salad. All right, well, we don't have much time left. I want to do just a couple of quick questions because listeners, we got we're going to have a uh, we're going to jump over to our Patreon channel in just a little bit. For those of you who are patrons, you'll get this episode. And for those of you who haven't yet joined our Patreon channel, check it out. It's uh, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. This is a place where we provide extra exclusive content to those of you who support the podcast. Help me defray the cost of this project to help me help authors give voice to the written words. And uh, Laurie and I are going to be talking about uh, how to market your business through writing. Um, And we'll probably talk a little bit more about uh, marital issues when we do it, but uh, you can jump over there and do that. But Laurie, before we do that, uh, just real quickly, um, you, um, this is a lot different than some of the academic writing you've done and a lot different than some of the other things you've done. Writing a book is a, it's a challenge. What did you find to be, most challenging about it and also most rewarding about the process? Um, The challenges were many. Um, I woke up with, you know, a cold sweat, a panic attack many times in the middle of the night. (laughs) What if people hate it? What if it it, it sounds silly? Um, and, And I think coming from the place of being, right, doing this work professionally, I really cared how I represented myself and I really cared how I represented the clients who came into my office. And so those fears came up often. And I would usually seek out lots of um, support when those fears would come up. I would talk to other um, authors who would calm me down. Um, I would talk to other therapists. I'd talk to mentors who would just kind of keep me in the right direction. Um, so there's definitely those challenges, but for me, the reward, um, was definitely, um, overwhelming in the sense that writing has definitely helped me be a better therapist. Um, relationships are messy. They're complicated and, and people come in with their array of, 
of experiences and they look to you as the professional to make sense of it all, to organize all this distress and help them through it and come out, uh, come out better on the other end. And so the, the gift to me of being able at the end of my day to kind of think about what happened in my office and put it into words um, it helped me just organize it. It helped me make sense of some really complicated dynamics and it helped me kind of offer better solutions to, to my clients. So I think that was kind of the surprising thing of how much of a better therapist I feel like it made me. Yeah. I find that when I write something out and spend time working on it or preparing for a presentation, I come away with more knowledge than I thought I had to begin with. So, <laughs> you know, uh, yes. that's, that's, that's good. So um, last question, um, what do you hope readers uh, get from your book? I hope they get that marital struggles are normal and expected and common, and they're often really predictable, the struggles people go through. That's what I try to really outline in the book. These are predictable struggles. They're not, they're not stuff we've never seen before as professionals that are helping you. We see it all the time. And there's been great, great research out there. And generally, we know how to work with it. We know how to kind of help couples through it and come out in a better spot. That's great. Well, uh, listeners, I've been talking to Lori Epting. Uh, her book is uh, From Chaos to Connection. You'll find out more about her in the show notes, charlotteroospodcast.com. Her book cover, links to her, how to connect with her. Uh, and if you need some tips on that marriage that's struggling, uh, I'm sure she can help you uh, with that too. But uh, as I said, jump over to Patreon and listen to us talk some more about marriage and also how to market your business through your writing. So, Lori, I want to thank you for being a part of Charlotte Roos Podcast. Thank you for having me. It was great to be here today. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.